Hi, Eric Goldwine here from LTCCC's Nursing Home 411 podcast. Across New York State, many nursing home owners claim that they're operating on razor-thin margins or even in the red. But the reality of these nursing home finances is a lot more complicated, perhaps intentionally. On this episode, I'm joined by Bill Hammond, who's been writing about New York State government and politics for more than three decades as a reporter and now director of health policy at the Empire Center. In the interview, we'll talk about a new Empire Center report following the money about the rise in related party transactions and how some nursing homes are prioritizing financial maneuvering over the best interests of their residents. Head to our show notes for a link to the report or go to empirecenter.org reports to read the article. Here's our music by Silverman Sound Studios. I am here with Bill Hammond, Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the Empire Center. Bill, welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. And you're here because a couple of days ago, uh, the Empire Center published a report following the money. And this report dives deep into the financial arrangements of New York's nursing homes and makes the case that owners are disguising the true profitability of their businesses. And you illustrate this first with kind of the more statewide overall findings, uh, but you also look at the inner workings of a major nursing home chain in upstate New York. So can you start by uh, talking about what you found with that chain? So I guess I should explain that when I embarked on this report, I was looking at a particular phenomenon that's increasingly common among nursing homes, and that's doing business with related companies. And related companies means that they're separate companies legally and technically, but often they're owned by exactly the same people. And so the company in Syracuse, it's a chain of nursing homes. I believe they have a dozen or 17, is it? 17 nursing homes. And they're owned by two people, Ephraim Steef and Yuri Koenig. I'm not absolutely sure of the pronunciation of those names. And they they own um, nursing homes across the state as, as far south as, um, I think, Rockland County and as, as far west as Buffalo. And um, they are. They happen to be this, the focus of a of an investigation by Attorney General Letitia James over their operation of a particular home called the Van Dyne Nursing Home in Syracuse. Um, her investigation started because of complaints about abuse and neglect, but she also started looking at their financial arrangements, including their payments to related companies. And in in court papers, she's alleging that they are using these financial arrangements to uh, siphon money out of the nursing home operations and away from caregiving and, and to benefit, you know, to, to increase the profits of the owners. I mean, we're all familiar with the term outsourcing and that's where any kind of business can decide to hire a second business to, to provide certain services um, it's very common, for example, to hire a company to do your payroll processing. 
this is a variation on outsourcing, um, but with the difference being that, like I say, the same people own both the buyer and the seller of the services. Can you just provide a, a, an example of a related party transaction in a nursing home? Is this uh, maybe with the food, uh, with the linens? Uh, what, what's an example of, of one? Uh, medications, nursing homes need a lot of medications. And so often um, a chain like this will start its own medication supply company and, or food services. Uh, and so they start a company that provides food to, to all of their nursing homes, general medical supplies, sheets, you know, there's any number of, of, of types of service a nursing home will find it useful to contract out. And then in the case where you have a large chain, the owners of the chain will, will, will set up a company to provide that service. But in addition to those types of things, which are commonly outsourced, what you see a lot in, the, um, in these nursing homes is that the, the nursing home will rent its building and the property that it's sitting on from a second company, which is also owned by the same people as the nursing home. This is not your garden variety outsourcing because the, the, they own the building. The people who own the nursing home own the building. So why would you want to rent it at all? Why not just you know, occupy your own building? And in particular, you see a lot of cases where the, the nursing home is paying much more in rent than it costs the real estate company to own and manage the property. You know, typically if you're the owner of a property, you have a mortgage and there's interest to pay um, and there's depreciation. Um, so there are a certain minimal number of expenses associated with owning a building, but the rent that they're collecting, again, from themselves in effect, can be as much as two or two and a half times more than their expenses. I should be clear that there's some missing data. Uh, I, got, I, got, I got all this information from data financial reports that the nursing homes are, are required to file with the state. They're supposed to disclose their dealings with related companies. And they're also supposed to disclose the internal finances of the related companies. But in some cases there, was, there were bits of missing data um, and so not in, not in every case can you, can you specifically say how much profit uh, a real estate company is making when it's renting to itself. Um, but in some cases, they're, they're making millions of dollars in, in profit. So the kind of the short of it, I believe you, there, there were 17 nursing homes, eight of them reported uh, losses, nine of them re reported gains. It was overall a modest profit of uh, aggregate profit of 1.7 million. Why would the nursing homes want to deflate their profits and why would they want to pay more in rent? Well, I have some theories and I have what the, I didn't, I wasn't able to talk to this particular company's um, officials, but I did talk to industry representatives to understand sort of the general practices in the industry. And one reason is taxes. 
real estate in particular gets it's widely understood to get favorable tax treatment there are ways you can frame your income and your and your outgo at, at a real estate company that results in lower taxes so it may make sense from a business point of view to flow your profits through a real estate company another reason is liability um, nursing homes quite often get sued and if you leave a lot of assets in the nursing home those assets could could be forfeited as a result of an adverse settlement and a lawsuit. So if you can move as much of your assets as possible to a secondary company, you can shield those assets from liability. And then uh, another potential uh, explanation, which this is not one that the industry gave me, but I hypothesize because I've paid attention to Albany for a long time, is that every year the nursing home industry both for-profit and non-profit, they lobby for better reimbursement from the state, from the Medicaid program. And as part of their argument for why that reimbursement should be improved, they point to their balance sheets and they say, look, we're barely breaking even. Some of, some of our members are losing money. Um, if you want us to uh, stay in business, and particularly if you want us to improve care, you need to pay us better. And I sometimes I, I have sympathy with that argument. But it turns out that these nurse, some of these nursing homes are making more money than it would appear from their own balance sheet because, again, they're paying, they're, they're buying services from other companies owned by the same people, and those other companies are making um, much more generous profits than the nursing home is itself. Now, there's a lot of striking numbers uh, in this in this report, but the one that really got me was 140. I'll, I'll quote I'll quote the report. Eleven facilities listed Steve as a paid employee, paying him 1.1 million for a combined 140 hours per week. Now that's 20 hours a day. Uh, a lot of people work hard. 20 hours a day seems uh, seems like a lot of a lot of time. What's going on there, and where did that I mean, that's, that's like a whole separate issue that I kind of just stumbled across looking at, at these financial records. I noticed that the, one of the things they're obliged to report is, is the salaries, any salaries collected by their top executives, including owners. And in this particular chain, the owners decided to um, name themselves as employees of many of their nursing homes and to... Um, give themselves salaries separately from from multiple nursing homes. And as part of the reporting, you're supposed to see how many hours a week you work. In in many of the homes, they just said five hours, which I think was their way of saying it's de minimis. But when you added up the five hours, and that when you added up all the hours they reported at all of the homes, it did add up to 140 hours. I meant that to be kind of provocative. Like, obviously, no one's working 140 hours a week. I don't think it's physically possible. I just think it's it's a it's an artifact of the way this information is reported. I think it uh, it, it kind of to me more generally uh, speaks to the complexity of of the financial of the financial arrangements and of of the reporting and and how the, the money is, is moving from A to B or A to C. Yeah, I mean, I, one thing that struck me is working on this report is that it, it must keep a lot of accountants and a lot of lawyers very busy because there's a lot of money flying around back and forth uh, that, you know, somebody has to keep track of. 
each company you create, you have to have articles of incorporation and you have to have a, you know, filings to make with the state. And there, there's a lot of paperwork involved with this stuff. Right. Now, this one chain, um, it's exceptional in some sense in that we learn some of the more, uh, we learn more of the details of this chain, but this seems to be a trend um, that this seems to illustrate a, a larger trend in the state about the increased um, dependence on related party transactions. Um, now you cite some, some uh, numbers uh, just uh, about the overall uh, statewide trends. And can you, can you talk about what you found there? Yeah, so one question I wanted to answer is how much of it is going on? Um, one way of looking at it is that um, out of 608 nursing homes, 70, uh, 394 are for-profit. And out of those 394, 72% report at least some transactions with a related company. There, those transactions added up to just over a billion dollars. And that was of the money they spent in the year I was looking at 2020, that was 16% of all their spending went to a related company. Uh, and the other trend I was able to track was how much has this been growing? And it's it in the nine years from 2011 to 2020, the amount of money spent on related companies in New York went up 164%. So it almost tripled. And that was the largest increase uh, of any state except one. So New York in some ways has less of this activity than other states, but we're catching up quickly because we're, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a rapidly growing practice. It's becoming the dominant model. Um, it's, it's a majority of nursing homes are doing it. And what's this in response to? What's causing this? Well, um, I think it, it must have something to do. They're responding to incentives, right? They're, these are business people. They're trying to run successful businesses and that includes getting a good return on their investment. And there must be something about the way Medicaid and Medicare are paying them that incentivizes them. Well, and not just the way they're being paid, but also we mentioned the tax, uh, the tax incentives and the liability incentives. Those are all combining to make it uh, advantageous to them to operate in this way. I don't fully understand it. And, I, and I'm not sure a lot of people do fully understand it because it's very arcane. The, the, the regulations around nursing homes and, and how, they're, how they're reimbursed are complicated. Uh, I'm guessing it's a pretty small group of, of lawyers who really understand it. And some of those people work in the health department, at least I hope. And then the, most of them work in the nursing home industry. And so they, they, they're, uh, I think it's something that actually bears study. I think the, the health department should look at the trends that I've documented in this report and say to themselves, what are we doing that's encouraging companies to slice and dice themselves this way? What are we doing that's encouraging them to uh, pay what looks like excessive rent? 
and and is that good for residents or not good? I, I tend to think that it's not always great for the residents because it the homes that are doing this tend to spend less money on their staff. And it's kind of hard to get around the idea that more staff is better in the, in the nursing home environment. If, you know, I also looked at the, uh, the nursing home compare star ratings, you know, the quality ratings uh, for these homes and for nursing homes generally. And if I had found that the nursing homes doing this were um, providing five-star care, uh, I would have said, okay, good for them, right? Like these, these business practices really aren't relevant because the nursing homes are, are doing a good job and everybody's happy. But, and I mean, in fact, I found the opposite that the nursing homes doing this have generally uh, as a group and in general have lower than average ratings. Some of them, I mean, I will say some of them are five-star facilities and that's great, but on average, they're they're spending less on staff, and as a and partly as a result of that, they're getting lower quality grades. The the state should want the best quality care for the dollar that they're spending, and if their rules and incentives are encouraging people to kind of siphon money out of the operation side of the nursing home and into these secondary companies they should probably think about whether that's good for the patients or not. Right. And say you're, uh, we'll get to the, the whole process of compiling this data and how um, it's not, it, it, it's not, a, they don't exactly make it easy for the average consumer to find out what's going on. But say you're a, a loved one of a nursing home resident in a, uh, in, that lives in a chain nursing home. What can you learn from this? What can you do with this information, uh, with the knowledge of this trend that's taking place? Or is this just more a policy wonk conversation? Yeah, I think these business practices are, you know, probably largely invisible to the consumer and to most people, in fact, because these chains, the, the nursing home acts like a single business. You know, they, they, they act, it, it doesn't necessarily matter to the residents or their family that the nursing home is paying rent to itself. You know, the, technically it's two companies on paper and it's paying rent to itself. Um, I think it's mostly of, it's of concern to consumers and of policymakers if these practices are resulting in lower quality care or if they're just resulting in waste of money. If the state is is paying more than it needs to pay. I don't think, I'm not sure the average consumer would get much out of looking at this data unless they're really prepared to dig into it. I, what they'll find if, if, if they do, they're gonna find that their grandmother's nursing home is divided into multiple companies in most cases. And so, you know, company A is holds the license and company B owns the building and company C is providing payroll processing and company D is, is sending in the food. And so w when it does become an issue is if they just, you know, like if they're unhappy with the care they provide and they file a lawsuit, um, the only, it's going to be very difficult for them to sue anybody other than the, the, the one company that owns the license. 
that company will have insurance. And so there's money there, but they're not gonna be able to get to the money that went to the payroll processing firm or the, uh, or the real estate firm. Right. What was your process on finding this, this data on, on combing through it? I, uh, I've done a lot of work with hospital financial reports and I, and, and I thought to myself, you know, I should do the same thing with nursing homes, just, just, just to get basic knowledge about the state's nursing home industry. Uh, and so when I sort of scouted around for what was available, I found these big, massive, um, raw data files. Um, and you can't really read a data file like that without what's called a key or a dictionary that says, okay, for if you look in this column and in this row, you're gonna find net operating income, right? Or, or you're gonna find payments to related companies. And so I, I, I reached out to some people in the industry who I knew would understand how the data worked and they could provide me with some guidance about um, how to read it and where to find what I was interested in. This is a process that went on over a period of weeks, actually, <laughs> to, to figure it all out and to, to download it and analyze it. Um, the whole process made me curious because it wasn't until I opened the file and got into it that I realized the extent of data that they had on related companies. It seems there's an accessibility barrier. What would you recommend um, uh, in, in terms of making this data more accessible? both for like a more advanced user like yourself, but also to um, the general public. There is a new practice, and I think it's a really great practice in, in at both the state and federal level of making much more data, of opening a data portal. And so it's a site where you can kind of, you can put in keywords, you can say, I wanna see nursing home finances, and I'll give you a list of files that you can open. But they also, when you open them, it opens on the computer and you can filter it right there on the computer. You can say, I just wanna see nursing homes in New York, or I would just wanna see nursing homes in my home county. I only wanna see information about employment and labor costs, or I only wanna see payments to related companies. So you can make it more manageable and understandable right there on your screen before you download it. Or if you want to, you can download the whole thing and play with it in a spreadsheet program. Um, I think they should be doing that with this nursing home financial data at a minimum. Pull out the big picture numbers and the summary and publish an annual summary. You know, just uh, here's the health department's annual summary of nursing home finances. Maybe that's asking a lot, but I think it would, it would give us a sense as the public that the health department, which is after all is kind of the primary regulator of this industry, that they have a good handle on what's going on, what the key trends are, and, and that they're shaping their policy in response to that information. In um, 2019, the governor put out a press release. I've just signed this transparency bill. It requires nursing homes, among other things, it requires nursing homes to tell us if they are outsourcing business to a separate company that they also own. And 
um, a lot of people applauded this, this great improvement in transparency. And it turns out that they've already been reporting that information for, for a decade before that. And the press, release, the press release didn't mention that, the bill language didn't mention that. And I, that just kind of mystified me. Did they not, what, you know, did they not know that this was already being reported? And if not, why not? How, you know, like, how could that fact get lost in the- uh, a, a lack of transparency in, yeah. regarding the transparency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we'll link to this uh, in our show notes. Um, it, the report can be found on empirecenter.org slash publication slash following dash the dash money uh, dash two. But again, we'll link to that. Um, and you should definitely check it out. Um, the, the report has uh, a lot of good information and it breaks it down uh, into tables and the charts. Um, so you can kind of skim it or you can, or you can read the, the whole thing. Before I get into the guest recommendations, uh, Bill, is there anything else you want to add either about the report or about other uh, work you got, other, other things you got in the works? You know, we, we haven't talked about the pandemic. The nursing homes became kind of the epicenter of the pandemic, not, not just in New York, uh, everywhere. And then there was a big political scandal over it. And, and to some extent, it contributed to Governor Cuomo having to resign. I did a lot of work on that, and I don't want to downplay how bad it was. But there was a larger issue, which was the overall pandemic response in New York and in other states was not great. The state was caught off guard, was caught by surprise, it was ill-prepared, and the, it was nursing home residents who bore the brunt of it for in those early weeks and months, and even to some extent for years. And I feel like the ultimate answer, the ultimate protection for nursing home residents would be a, a much stronger and more effective response to the earliest stages of the epidemic when it was just arriving on our shores and just beginning to spread among the general population. If we'd had a better handle on it then, that would have saved lots of lives. And this was a disaster. And when a disaster happens, you should, you should study the disaster. You should study why it happened and you should study what you can do better next time. Um, it's just absolutely shocking to me that that has not, that process has not yet begun at the state level, at least not in a public way. It hasn't begun at the federal level either. And that's in some ways even more shocking. But public health in, in our federal system of government, public health is primarily a state responsibility. There's a lot of decisions that are made at the local and at the state level that the feds really aren't well positioned to, to get involved in. And so, I just like to make a pitch, as I often do, that um, the state legislature and the governor um, should be commissioning a complete study, um, preferably with a lot of outside input, independent input, a complete study 
of the pandemic response and how it needs to be repaired because we know this will happen again. Another virus will come. Right. I'm glad you say that as a uh, as a uh, uh, master of public health. It's a it, it often doesn't get seen uh, the the work that goes into public health. It doesn't get seen. Uh, nobody notices um, when when a, a epidemic is prevented. When a pandemic is prevented, it, it's only in the spotlight when things go wrong, which makes it a kind of a harder sell to invest in. Let's get to the recommendations. Uh, mm -hmm. First, we'll have a nursing home related item. This can be a book, an article, um, whatever. So a lot of the reading that I do about long-term care is in the form of, of articles as opposed to books. One that stood out in particular was a couple years ago was a New York Times article called On the Job 24 Hours a Day, 27 Days a Month by Andy Newman. It was an in-depth look at a particular personal care aide working for a particular patient in Stamford, Connecticut, and, and just what the life, what that life is like for both the care aide and the uh, recipient of care, um, what the circumstances were that led to that person needing the care. And uh, I just thought it was, I mean, I write a lot about in-home care as part of the long-term care continuum. And it was just really important for me to, to get a sense of what that looks like up close. And I, I just pulled up that article. We'll link to that. And what do you got for a non-nursing home rack? So, I mean, this is healthcare. I mean, I'm a healthcare wonk. Um, and it's a book called Overcharged, Why Americans Pay Too Much for Healthcare. It was published in 2018 um, by Charles Silver and David A. Hyman. I think this is a book that a lot of people will be able to relate to because it really digs into um, the, the, the exorbitant amounts that Americans pay for their healthcare, whether they're paying directly out of pocket or whether they're paying through an insurance company or a government program. We, our healthcare costs are ex extremely high compared to the rest of the world. And this book gives examples of it and then explains the factors that lead to those high costs in a really original and easy to understand way. Well, thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to talk about the report. And we're looking forward to seeing what you come up with next. Thanks for having me on.